In his daily life, Jesus was also looking around him. He was learning a great deal through his own observations. Already he was beginning to challenge in his own thoughts the tyrannical power exerted by the religious authorities. The people of Nazareth had to be constantly running to the synagogue for advice in the simplest of household affairs. Whatever one wanted to do must be done only on the advice of the priests and with their consent they settled everything. As a Nazarene lad, Jesus was supposed to perform promptly and obediently any task set him by a scribe. He must carry the fellow's bundles, run his errands, water his donkey, sweep out his dirt. The mild eyes of Jesus betrayed no insubordination. His thoughts in those years of boyhood were never spoken except once, and that was some years later on. Jesus also found the religious services prolonged and tiresome. Everybody had to stand during interminable prayers, petitions to God in which the same thing was said over and over again. The day was to come when Jesus would teach a simple, noble prayer of his own in which there would be none of those vain repetitions which so wearied him as a child. Actually for Jesus, as for every Nazarene boy of his time, the synagogue was the school of life. There was very little of the world that one could know outside one's own household and synagogue. But the still very young Jesus saw through the imposing masquerade of ecclesiastical services to the atrocious fact that all too often only the letter of the law was being kept while its living spirit was being droned away. By supernatural insight, his alone, he was looking already beyond the boundaries of family, of village, town, and nation, and beholding a world that should be one world, one home for people, and all the people, children of God. The boys of the village liked to talk everlastingly about deliverance of the nation from foreign tyranny because at that time the yoke of the Roman Empire was heavy upon the Israelites. At heart, all the little boys were little revolutionists. Their games, like cowboys and Indians of today, were of zealots and Romans patriots and tyrants. On street corners, around fires in the field, on the steps of the synagogue, their elders too, peddler, shepherd, everybody, talked of a king who was to come one day and free Israel by force of arms. But Jesus showed scant interest in the boys' games of revolution, though he heard every day about the crimes of government. And indeed, the years of his childhood were no improvement for Israel over the sway of the late King Herod. The acute misery of the people brought about a rebellion in Galilee when Jesus was only 11 years old. 
That abortive uprising began and ended in the town of Sepporis, only four miles away from Nazareth. There was a patriot called Judas of the forbidden zealot party and he led a desperate crew of whom Joseph's old friend Samuel was a vigorous lieutenant on a madman's enterprise. Those were the days when the secret council ran through the province by blood and sword, the holy simpleton. Judas was going to save everybody, free everybody from Roman tyranny. No Lord but Jehovah was the rallying call, no tax but to the temple, no friend but the zealot. So Judas, the Galilean, raised an army of rebels, a rag, tag, and bobtail valiant crew who, following his bidding, raided the king's armory in Sepphoris and then began to march. Soon enough, the Roman colonial troops under General Varus cut the army of Judas to pieces and Sepphoris was burned to the ground. Jesus would always remember the smell of the cremated city which filled the nostrils of Nazareth. Those inhabitants of Sephorus who did survive the fire were sold into slavery. That was a time of panic for the Nazarenes. Judas beheaded on the field of battle, the rebel soldiers in flight and hiding, perhaps in his own cistern. All the neighbors of Joseph had stood on the heights and watched in despair the fury of Roman punishment. Two thousand men suspected of complicity in the schemes of Judas the Galilean were crucified in the open country. Two thousand crosses with hanging victims between Sephorus and Nazareth. Those two thousand crucifixions, some of the victims men he had run errands for, were among the early memories of the boy Jesus. In the midst of such evil clashes, there was the gravest anxiety in Joseph's mind, when one day a long-bearded stranger in a Syrian dress walked into the shop and whispered a name. Then Joseph knew the stranger was Samuel in disguise. Samuel, his best friend, who had survived the broken rebellion and escaped the Romans. Samuel, who now, very casually, dropped in to tell of a new, even more desperate dance.